This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. Wonderful. Well, we're back in the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 3. And I want to set the scene for you. Uh, we were in Dan- Daniel chapter 2 last week. Let me set the scene for you in Daniel chapter 3. If you remember last week, we had King Nebuchadnezzar. And he had this dream, which was really more of a nightmare. He had this dream about these, uh, this statue that represented different kingdoms. And, and eventually this statue, statue got uh, knocked down by this other kingdom, not built by human hands, that represented the kingdom of God. And he, he, he dreamt about this statue, and it became a nightmare. And then bizarrely, in Daniel chapter 3, he builds it. Like when I read Daniel chapter 3 after hearing Daniel chapter 2 last week, I couldn't believe it. Nebuchadnezzar builds his nightmare. He builds it, and then he gets people to bow down and worship it. And just as a, as a side thought, maybe for some of us, we're kind of building something in our minds, a worst-case scenario. Just be careful. Like King Nebuchadnezzar has this nightmare, and then he builds it. Let's not be like that. If you need a role model from the book of Daniel, don't let it be King Nebuchadnezzar. He builds his nightmare. But that's what he does. He builds this massive statue, and then he makes a royal decree. If you do not bow down to my statue then you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. You'll be, you'll be thrown into the fire and you'll be burnt alive. Not, you know, quite a chilling, quite a chilling decree. Uh, but when I read it, it reminded me of a chilling decree that's being made at the moment. And if we just put this picture on the screen, about a year ago, uh, a group called ISIS began to write this image on the houses of Christians in Iraq and Syria. And the image you can see, at first you might think it's a smiley face. It's anything but. You know, it's an image that represents the, the uh, Arabic word for Christian, N, Nazarene or Christian. And they began to say essentially what King Nebuchadnezzar said, unless you bow down, Unless you convert to uh, our God, then you will die. And these uh, images began to appear on Christian houses about a year ago uh, in Iraq and Syria. uh, And it's still going on now. So we read these stories sometimes in in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and think this is a bizarre, barbaric story from a bygone era. Well, I read this story in Daniel 3, this king who sets up a statue and says, bow down and worship or you will die. And actually, it's still happening. It's still happening uh, across the planet. So that's what King Nebuchadnezzar does. And then in 8 to 13, we're we're reintroduced to Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, And these three friends, um, they are summoned before the king because they refuse to worship the statue. They refuse to worship the statue of King, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he brings them into his royal court to ask them why. So that's set up uh, Daniel chapter 3 for us, and we're going to read the rest of the story. Daniel chapter 3, verses 14 to 30. You can turn to it in your Bibles, or you can look at it on the screen. So So King Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? That's the accusation. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So he's accused the men 
And now he's almost setting out a gauntlet to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Statement of faith. But, I love this, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, respectfully, that we will not serve you or your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Who knows that's hot? And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes were bound and frozen to the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Blazing furnace, sorry. Then King, king Nebuchadnezzar, there's a lot of names in this, <laughs> long names. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty, which is the right thing to say to uh, a nutter. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And so they came out of the fire. And the uh, prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any other god except their own god. Therefore, and this is where he goes crazy again, therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against this God will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the province of Babylon. So there we have Daniel chapter 3. The king sets up his nightmare, makes this decree, unless you bow down, you will be thrown into the fire. And these three men, trust in God, they, uh, they don't bow down to this other uh, image. They trust in God. They go through the fire, and then we see what God happens. So there's a few things I want to speak to you about this morning. The first is this. I love that in the story, these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they get noticed for their faith. And what they get noticed for is their faith. What gets them into trouble is their faith. And the reason that they're honoured by the king, Nebuchadnezzar, is because of their faith. It's their faith that gets them noticed. For their strength of their faith. I love their defiance. I love 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18. God's going to bring us through this. And even if he doesn't, we're still going to trust in him. 
God's going to bring us through this. And even if he doesn't, we're still going to trust in him. There was a strength and there was a defiance in their faith. And I'd imagine all across this room this morning, there's people going through all kinds of different challenges, struggles. Some of you are going through great seasons. Some of you are going through great times. And maybe others of us are going through some really difficult challenges. Let me say this to you. This is what I believe, that faith and hope were designed for times of challenge and despair. Now, faith and hope, when the good times are good, everything's going great, isn't it? But then when we go through these times of challenge, despair, heartache, that's when for most of us, we cling on to faith and hope. That's when faith and hope becomes faith and hope when we're going through those times of challenge and struggle. Now, what, what is faith? Hebrews 11, verse 1 is going to be on the screen. What is faith? Well, faith is this confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. What these three men saw was an angry king who had a reputation for barbarism. You know, had a reputation for killing people who opposed him. What they were surrounded by was his advisors. You know, they were in a foreign country. What they saw was this massive statue that said, I am the real God. You know, what they saw probably should have made them think, rationally should have made them think, you know, let's just bow down because we're going to get our lives if we just bow down. Maybe our God isn't real because where is he? You know, we can't see him. We can see this massive statue. We can see this foreign land that we're in. We can see this barbaric king threatening our lives. But they had a faith and an assurance and a confidence in something they could not see. You know, they had this faith and confidence and assurance and a hope in something that they could not see. That's faith. So I want to encourage you that if you are going through something really challenging, despair, heartache at the moment, well, faith and hope are designed for such times. And even though we're right at the beginning of our message, I'd love just to give a moment where we pray. We pray a really simple prayer. And we pray a really simple prayer for anybody going through those kind of experiences. And here's my prayer. I don't have loads of wisdom on this subject. I just have faith. You know, faith like a child, simplicity faith that says, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Here's the first thing we're talking about. Trust, faith, hope. So should we join together and pray that prayer? You know, may, maybe you just want to hold up that issue or that struggle before God and say, God, I'm going through this and it's difficult. But our prayer, our declaration is going to be, Jesus, we trust in you. Jesus, we put our trust in you. Hey, maybe you can join with me in praying that prayer. Jesus, we trust in you. Jesus, we trust in you. Wherever you are at the moment, whatever you're going through, let's just pray that prayer a few more times. I love this, the, the power and the simplicity of it. Jesus, I trust in you. Whatever I'm going through, Jesus, I'm going to place my trust and my hope and my faith in you. Faith is the confident assurance of what we cannot see. Jesus, we put our trust and our hope and our faith in you. Amen. Amen. Faith and hope are designed for times of challenge and despair. The second thing I want us to see in this story is about worship. Uh, You might not have seen that the story kind of hinges on worship, but these three young guys, they're thrown into the fire because they do not worship the statue. 
and instead they choose to worship God. I, I want to say this morning that worship is powerful. Uh, we, we are part of a great church community. We have great musicians that lead us brilliantly in worship every week. But I want, I want you to see this, that what we do here on a Sunday morning is not karaoke. You know, we're not doing Christian karaoke. We're not having a sing-song. You know, sometimes we might look at kind of Christian expressions of worship and think, it's just a sing-song. It's just something that passes the time, a bit of a Christian knees up, you know, where we get together, we sing a few songs, we make ourselves feel good, and then we go... That's not what we're doing, is it? Worship is powerful. It's not karaoke. It's not a Christian knees up. It's not just a get together where we all, we, we hide, we huddle, we sing a few songs and then we go back. No, it's, it's powerful. Worship is powerful. Worship is a declaration that Jesus is Lord. You know, we just sang that song. There is no other name. Worship is a declaration that God is King, not King Nebuchadnezzar. Not this system, not this structure of evil, not this empire, not this object. No, Jesus is the king above all kings. Our God reigns. Worship is an identification with that story, with that truth. Worship is a celebration. You know, if you've got something in your life worth celebrating, uh, then celebrate it. You know, if you're like, Jesus has set me free from sin and shame. You know, Jesus has giving me freedom and hope in my life, well, that, that is worth celebrating. <laughs> worship, is, worship is powerful. I want us to think this morning maybe about the posture of worship. I, I've thought about this a bit. I have bad posture. I'm not someone to give advice on posture. But I think I've learned a bit about posture in worship, you know, as in the way I present myself before God. You know, I, I grew up in church. Um, when I first became a Christian, uh, I remember looking around the room I didn't grow up in this church, I grew up in a different church. I remember looking around the room thinking, there's a passion inside of me and I want to express it in worship. But I looked around the room and I thought, no one else is doing that. So I want to do this. It's like there's a passion inside of me. And at 15, the big breakthrough for me was putting my hand up in worship for the first time and then looking around going, you know, just that quick thing of, oh, I've done it. Um, And that expression of, you know, I have expressed joy or something. I don't know. I don't even know what I was trying to express, but there was passion inside of me and I wanted it to come out in some way. That's part of our posture of worship. You know, sometimes I just uh, encourage people to say, hey, well, lifting my hands is a way of saying, God, I'm here. God, I'm available. God, I'm, I'm here for you. Or surrender. Sometimes it's a way of saying, I just surrender. God, I need you. Right now in my life, my posture is, God, I need you. Maybe for some of you, it's about bowing down, you know, saying your posture of worship is, I need to kneel before God because I recognize that he is big and he's holy and he's great. Maybe for some of you, it's about getting a bit of a bounce, you know, a bit of uh, enthusiasm where you're like, there's life inside of me, there's passion inside of me, and I need to express that in my worship. So I want to challenge us as a church community to say, let's not compromise on how we worship. There is life and there is joy and there is freedom in the room. And there's life and there's joy and there's freedom inside of you. So in our worship, let's not compromise. Let us stand out in worship. Let us step up in worship. So let's not compromise in how we worship. But let's also not compromise on who we worship. You know, who are we giving our worship to? Who is the most important thing in our life? 
What is the priority in our life? I'm sure no one in this room has bowed down to a 90-foot golden statue. You know, that's not the issue in our life, is it? But there's other things in our life that might demand worship, adoration, that might demand lordship and kingship and authority in our life. So I'm going to challenge you this morning from this story with worship. Worship is powerful. Worship is powerful. So let's not compromise in how we do it, and let's not compromise in who we worship. Worship is an encounter with Jesus. Be a worshiper in your life. Like it might be odd to be singing the way that we sing in your workplace. I don't know what you do for work. It might be odd to do exactly what we do here in your place of work or in your house or whatever. But still, worship can be part of our everyday life. That every day we're saying, Jesus, your Lord. Jesus, your King. Jesus, your, your number one. Later today, when we get another opportunity to worship in sung worship, I want to encourage you to think, well, how, how can I express what's inside of me outside? Like, what's going on on the inside? You know, what, what is God doing in my life? Well, next time we have an opportunity to worship, I want you to go for it. I want you to stand out, step up and say, I'm from today. I'm not compromising. You know, like 15-year-old Pete, who said, you know, I'm going to go for it. Today, I'm going to lift my hand. And, um, you know, I, I'm not the most exuberant character on the planet. But I like to think that I, I go for it as much as I can. And I want, I want to encourage you, encourage you to do the same. Stand out in worship. Let's go back to the story. I love this verse 25, continuing this thought of worship. Sorry, verse 28, continuing this thought of worship. So they've come out of the fire, and we'll go back to the fire. We'll talk about the fire again in a minute. But they come out of the fire, and then King uh, Nebuchadnezzar says this, if we can get verse 28. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Praise be to this God. So King Nebuchadnezzar, who has set himself up as a god, that's what he's become for his nation. He's set himself up as a god. He recognizes that he is not God. Because he recognizes, wow, there's another force going on here that is bigger and better than me. I've thrown these guys into the fire and they didn't get burnt. You know, there's something else going on here. There's a bigger God than me. And he praises this God. I love this thought that as we live our lives of faith, as we live our lives of worship, that actually other people will see who God really is. You know, other people begin to see God at work in our lives. And what's their response? You know, when people see God for who they really are, they, all they can say is, wow, praise be to this God. Like, this is a mighty God. It reminded me of um, the Christmas story. I know it's June, but it reminded me of the Christmas story when these wise men from the East, these Magi, who probably come from the same country that Nebuchadnezzar is living in, they come from this foreign land, and when they see the reality of who God is as a little baby, you know, wrapped up, as they see that, what do they do? They bow. When they see God for who he is, coming humbly as the Savior, they bow before him. It reminds me of Matthew five sixteen that says, as you, let's read it. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as they see the people of God being the people of God, all they can do is say, wow, this God of yours is good. So as we worship, 
as people see God for who he really is, as we shine our light, as we stand up and step out, what is the response of those around us? Worship. Worship. I, I live for that day. You know, as we stand, up, stand out and step out, the, the world around us, that the, the environment around us changes. And as people see God for who they really is, the only response can be, we have to worship this, this God. We have to worship this God. So here's my next challenge to you. Be God's best advert. Like you can be God's best advert. Now there's an alternative to that, but we won't talk about that right now. But you can be God's best advert. Where you are, your community, your place of work, your family, your street, you can be God's best advert. Now God gets loads of bad press, doesn't he? God God gets loads of misrepresentation. But actually, us as a church community, we can go into the world around us and we can be God's best advert. And as we shine, as we step up, as we stand out, then people will be drawn into worship. Okay, let's go back to what happens in the fire. Because we have this mysterious moment, don't we, in the fire. Are you still with me? Everyone good? So let's go back into the story. We've kind of ended the story. Let's go back, let's go back into the story. This mysterious moment where three men get thrown into the fire, and then how many people were in the fire? Four. So three men get thrown into the fire, and then suddenly Nebuchadnezzar, I like to imagine that he's on the edge of his seat, and, he re- and he's looking and he's realizing, wait a minute, we threw three in, who's this fourth person? And Nebuchadnezzar's understanding is he looks like the son of God. He looks like the son of the God. That's what he looks like. He looks like a divine being. He looks like an angel. He looks like he's from somewhere else. He looks like the son of the gods. Here's what I want us to hear this morning. That God is our rescuer. God is our rescuer. The book of Daniel was written to a persecuted people. I think sometimes we forget this when we read scripture. You know, lots of, lots of scripture was written to people living in persecution. You know, how many, how many letters does Paul write where he starts a letter by saying, um, I'm in chains, like I'm in prison writing this letter. You know, a, lot of, a lot of the biblical texts are actually written to people in persecution or maybe written from exile or persecution. Now, Daniel's writing to a persecuted people, a people living in exile, a people living in slavery, having to be under the oppression of another God. He's writing to those people, but he's got a message, and his message is this, hope is on the way. God is our rescuer. God did it before, he did it in the Exodus, God did it before, he's going to do it again. The God who is the rescuer is going to come and rescue us again, even if you're in the middle of the fire. You know, even if you're in the middle of the worst kind of nightmare, God is the rescuer. Two truths I want us to hear from this. One, God is with us. God is with us. So whatever you're going through today, God is with you. That's his promise. God is with you. He is the God that is with us in the fire. He is with you. But the second truth is this, that God brought them through. So he wasn't just present as a comfort he wasn't just present. He actually brought them through. They were in the fire and then they were rescued from the fire. So God is with you, but he will also bring you through. God is the rescuer. Maybe today you feel like you're in the middle of a fiery furnace. Maybe for some of you it's the fiery furnace of temptation. 
You know, maybe at the moment you've got this massive life decision where you're like, I feel or understand that God's heart is over here, but there's this other offer on the table. There's other offers. Maybe, maybe today you're feeling that fiery furnace of you're going through temptation, like you're going through something really challenging. Maybe it's pain and suffering. Maybe you're going through that fiery furnace of you're just experiencing pain and suffering. And it seems like it's, it almost seems like it's endless. Or maybe it's doubts. Maybe you want to convince yourself uh, about what you believe, but maybe you just have some doubts. Maybe you're just carrying some doubts today and you're going through that fiery furnace of doubt. Maybe it's rejection. Maybe there's that sense of, I don't know if I belong. You know, I'm going through this fiery furnace of, I just have this sense of, of rejection or persecution. Well, here's the truth. God is with you. So whatever you're going through, doubt, pain, suffering, rejection, temptation, whatever you're going through, God is with you. I think that's better news than that. God is with you. God is actually with you. Whatever you're going through, this fire, this, this fiery furnace that you're experiencing, God is with you. And the other truth is that God will bring you through. Now, that might look like different things, but God will bring you through. Ultimately, God will bring you through this fiery furnace. He is the God that is with us in the fire. He is the God that is with us in the fire. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.